Yokohama fell in love. He kept saying the man dealt a bad hand. So deep in the night, when all the world was quiet, someone came and took her lover's life. chilling greetings to every single one of you. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers podcast part of your day. Those tunes you just heard is, as always, courtesy of the lovely Bobby Mackey, and I, of course, am your host, Tessa Morrow. Now, before we hop into today's episode, I need to mention a place I went to while on Tombstone this past month, the Arizona Rangers Museum. And I meant to mentioned this last week. It's a place that I've walked by many times throughout the years and did not know it was even there. We had walked by and ran into this awesome gentleman named Stuart. He was so beyond friendly and gave us a tour of the museum. And let me say there's a ton of neat things in there all about the Arizona Rangers. Now I knew about the Texas Rangers, but I didn't know there was such a thing. Arizona Rangers, pretty badass, and they're still around to this very day. So go to the town too tough to die and go say hi to Stuart at the museum for me. And on another note, I woke up the other day to headlines screaming, Lisk identified. Now... I follow all that true crime stuff, and I've been following the Long Island serial killer case for years, and I was beyond the moon excited when I heard that this monster was actually apprehended. I mean, this is like Green River Killer, or BTK Killer, big. So kudos to... All that happened to make this happen, to get this monster off the streets for good. Today we find ourselves in the United States' oldest city, one of America's oldest structures, and the oldest brick structure, in St. Augustine, Florida. That's right, my friends, the St. Augustine Lighthouse. St. Augustine, it was here during the Second Spanish Period that several of what would be St. Augustine's oldest families settled here, and guess what? Many are still here today. A ton of history is connected to this phenomenal location, and I'll do just a quick little timeline of some of that history. Now, in the mid-1580s, watchtowers there constructed by the Spanish crown during the same time when Castillo de San Marcos was being built. Now, this was with the intention to keep the enemy away from attacking and taking over Anastasia Island. Now, here's a cool fact for you. The North End Watchtower is now the site of where the lighthouse is. And the South Tower, well, that's now Fort Matanza's National Monument. In 1737, the watchtower-turned-lighthouse got a makeover and was completely redone, built with wood and shell rock. In 1763, the HMS industry wrecks and sinks right by the lighthouse. And that's not the only vessel to wreck here. One fateful New Year's Eve, that being in 1782, at least 16 ships wrecked here while attempting to approach the harbor. 
you go to the beach. You feel the hot sand between your toes and under your feet. You hear the seagulls cackle in the distance. The waves crashing down hard onto the sandy surface. Perhaps a baby laughing in the background. A couple of kids attempting to make a sand castle. In the distance, you see a lighthouse. Oh, it stands tall and proud, the lifesaver, the saver of lives, the saver of vessels. Again, the lifesaver. Now, I've done several episodes throughout the years on lighthouses, and they always amaze me. The history behind these tall structures, the stories, the legends, the shipwrecks, the heartbreak, the deaths, the ghosts, everything about them, just so much going on at these locations. It's phenomenal. Now, the St. Augustine light was originally lit with the Winslow Lewis Argand lamps, accompanied with reflector panels. And it did not take long for complaints to start pouring in about how it was hard to detect the light from the lighthouse. Now, this was an extremely important concern and issue, as it could be the difference between life and death, a floating vessel or a sinking one, grieving and mourning families or a cheerful reunion, a wife or a widow. Instead of changing the lights or making changes of any other sort, they raised the lighthouse up an extra 10 feet in 1852. Now, the following year in 1853, the St. Augustine Lighthouse was the proud owner of Fresnel Lens. Yeah, my friend, one lone lard oil lamp, fueled, of course, by whale oil. It, that was the source of the light. And the complaints, well, they dissipated into thin air. It was between the early to mid-1860s, during the American Civil War, that Confederate sympathizers remove and hide the Fresnel Lens. Um, some may consider that stealing? I don't know. The reason behind this was to block the Union ships. The Union Navy, well, they come on over, take over the area with no events taking place, thankfully. Now, during this time, a man named Paul Arnau is temporarily jailed in one of the prison ships where he finally releases the location to where that Fresno lens is. You guys, the man behind the location of the lens, he would later become the mayor of St. Augustine, I kid you not. Uh, we don't need to do a background check on this fella. <laughs> the missing Fresnel and the lighthouse, well, they are reunited, thankfully, and it is relit in 1867. Now, Confederate sympathizers, the very people who stole the Fresnel lens and the mayor, were in charge of running the port before, and they are soon kicked in the caboose out, and they are replaced with lighthouse keepers coming from the northern states. And by this time, the lighthouse, it's in major disrepair, having seen better days, most definitely. A new lighthouse is constructed during the Florida Reconstruction Period. A brand spanking new tower is built, 165 feet tall and proud, and is completed in 1874. And the brand new lighthouse is relit for the very first time since being out of commission on October 15, 1874 by lighthouse keeper William Russell. And in order to light the nine-foot Fresno lens, William, he had to go and climb inside lighting the lamps. 
It's incredible. Now, this Fresnel lens was made in Paris, <laughs> made in Paris specifically for St. Augustine Lighthouse, and no one else. The light has bullseye panels and can see up to 24 miles away. And that's phenomenal. This February 1889 article that was released by the St. Augustine Weekly News gives us a better insight when it comes to the lens. Quote, the lamp was a brass cylinder of 10 gallons capacity. Inside, it has a heavy weight which governs the flow of oil to the burner. The burner has five wicks and concentric circles. A chimney leads to the roof. It has a damper which regulates the flame. The globe is a huge case of glass which revolves around the lamp every nine minutes. It makes a flash every three minutes when a big bull's eye lines up between the lamp and the human eye. The cage weighs two tons. Unquote. Now, on the 31st day of August in 1886, the Charleston earthquake in South Carolina takes place. It's responsible for 60 deaths and between 5 to $6 million in damages. And to this day, it is considered one of the most powerful and damaging earthquakes to ever take place in the East Coast. Now, due to this earthquake, the lighthouse sways violently about... But when inspected, it showed no signs of damage. Thank goodness. Sneak sky and sea raid on Pearl Harbor. Now, after the horrific Pearl Harbor attacks, a lookout structure is constructed at the lighthouse station in early 1942. Meanwhile, U-Boat 123 is creeping towards St. Augustine, being navigated by Reinhard Hartigan. In his logbook, Reinhard notes that he sees a slender lighthouse and shares that it is easily spotted without the help of binoculars. Witnesses, to their much terror, I imagine, see him make his way to the ocean's surface, fires a vessel with hopes and intent on destroying the lighthouse. Well, he unfortunately makes a quick exit and escapes and heads back to Germany. Now, shortly after the U-boat attack in June 1942, German spies land at Ponte Verde Beach, and it is leaked of what's taking place, and they discover that there is TNT hidden throughout the sandy surface of this beach. Four spies are thankfully executed because of this. Now, the lighthouse is being heavily guarded with 24-hour protection under the watchful and very careful eyes the National Guard and the United States Navy. These, well, they are dangerous times indeed. Though the history of the location of St. Augustine Lighthouse dates back to the 1580s, and probably further, the tower that we see today dates back to 1874. And as the years go by, it's upgraded, such as in 1907, indoor plumbing, that's introduced. And in 1925, electricity is a much-welcomed source. And 11 years later, in 1936, the light is now electrified, and guess what, you guys, in 1955, it becomes automated. Now, in 1981, the St. Augustine Lighthouse joins the National Register of Historic Places. And five years later, that being in 1986, that very special Fresnel lens that was made just specifically for St. Augustine Lighthouse, well, it is damaged due to being shot by a rifle leaving 19 of its prisms badly damaged. 
the FBI is summoned and an investigation is conducted. There's talk about the lens being replaced with something else, I believe like an airport beam or something. But you know, these people, they were very, no, we need to keep this. This was just made for us. This is special. It has meaning to us. Instead of being replaced, it is lovingly restored to its original glory and beauty by two amazing men, Joe Cocking, who is a retired Coast Guardsman, and Nick Johnston. So kudos to those gentlemen and whoever else helped with that, because that must have been a lot of hard work, but they did it. And throughout the years, the lighthouse, it's seen its fair share of keepers. One of those keepers, well, he was head keeper William Harn. He stays for 20 years. He was a major and a Union hero, commanding his own battery at the Battle of Gettysburg. It was a family affair, as his family, which consisted of his wife and six children, all girls, they were known to serve lemonade right on the keeper's house porch. People, they absolutely adored this family. The St. Augustine Lighthouse is home to the first ever female lighthouse keeper in Florida. Not only that, but Maria Mestre de los Dolores becomes the very first Hispanic American woman to serve in the Coast Guard. Now, when it comes to the being the first lighthouse keeper being a woman, she didn't ask for this job. She did not seek this opportunity. She didn't want the attention. She was kind of actually thrown into it when hmm, tragedy strikes. One fateful day in 1859, lighthouse keeper Joseph, some accounts call him Juan, Andrew, is on top of a scaffolding. He's touching up an area that is in much need of a very fresh coat of paint, and he loses his footing and he sadly falls to his death. On December 10th of 1859, the St. Augustine Examiner reports this. Monday last, Joseph Andrew was engaged in a whitewashing the tower of the lighthouse when the scaffold gave way and he fell 60 feet, dying almost immediately. He first struck the roof of the oil room, about 30 feet below, whence he glanced off and struck the stone wall, which encloses the lighthouse, and thence to the ground, killing him instantly. Unquote. Now, you know, when a family lives on the island at the lighthouse or in the, you know, keeper's home, not only is it the lighthouse keeper who has to know these things, but the people who live with him, they need to as well. Just in case something happens to the keeper, the lighthouse could still be functioning and up and running. And this was the case when Joseph was killed. His wife, Maria, she jumps into action where she serves as the lighthouse keeper and remains that way until 1862, which is the same year that the light is stolen and hidden. And Joseph is not the only lighthouse keeper to die here. William Hard was actually the very first keeper to die here at St. Augustine Lighthouse. He unfortunately contracted tuberculosis and malaria during the Civil War, and he succumbs to those illnesses. Rumor has it that one of the lighthouse employees hanged himself in the basement. Not too sure if this is accurate or just some sort of tale. And when it comes to deaths, it was not just the keepers who drew their last breath here, but children as well. 
tragedy? Well, it strikes again, my friends. In 1872, the lighthouse was under construction. A man named Hezekiah Pitt oversees the process and moves his family, consisting of three daughters and his wife, with him from Maine, where they all live on the island. One fateful day, the Pitt girls, along with another local girl, believed to be the daughter of a construction worker for the lighthouse, while they're all playing. During the construction, they often used a rail cart, which would be used to bring products, supplies, and other material from the pier right to the lighthouse. I mean, talk about convenience. Well, unfortunately, on this day, it proved to be anything but convenient. The Pitt sisters, 15-year-old Mary, 13-year-old Eliza, and their little sister, 4-year-old Carrie, they are playing with a girl whose identity I could not find. They often played with the rail cart, portraying pirates or some other type of game. They played with the cart many occasions with no incident taking place, nothing happening whatsoever. Well, today, unfortunately, would be a devastatingly, excruciatingly different day. There was a wood board that would keep the rail cart in its place. Today, I don't know where it was, but that board was gone. And they're playing without a care in the world, as most children do. When the cart begins to move and loses control, goes right off the tracks, right into the unforgiving sea. And it kind of is on top of the kiddos. And they're trapped in that. And a worker named Dan, he sees what happens and he dives into action. The girls, they're trapped. Time is running out. By the time the worker gets to them, unfortunately, it is too late. Three of the four girls have been killed. Now, four-year-old Carrie Pitt, she is the only survivor. The grieving parents have a funeral for their babies, then bring the bodies back to Maine to bury them where they rest eternally to this day. Many sightings of sisters Eliza and Mary have been seen around the lighthouse. They were so young and their deaths were so tragic, so sudden. Just poor sweet baby girls along with the unidentified girl, all those girls. Many have heard unexplained laughter at night. And there have been more than a few times where people have claimed to see the apparition of a young girl believed to be Eliza roaming about and still in her blue dress that she wore the day of her death. Throughout time, St. Augustine Light has seen battle, sabotage, death, centuries gone by, it's certainly not hard to believe that Florida's oldest brick building and surrounding location has some major paranormal and haunting activities taking place. The sounds of precious children laughing can be heard at times. Not only that, but the sounds of tiny pitter-patter footsteps can be heard when there are no children around. Many believe the spirit of the lighthouse's first female keeper, Maria, resides here. Not hard to believe. She lived here. This was once her home. Her husband died here. She took over his duties. She has been seen on the catwalk in the area where her husband fell to his death. So, so sad. And speaking of her husband, Joseph, many have heard the heartbreaking sounds of a man screaming. And many believe this to be Joseph himself, screaming as he falls to his death, stuck in this horrific cycle, forever reliving his death. 
And the phantom smell of cigar smoke has been smelled many a times at this non-smoking location, oftentimes on the ground floor, and with this scent is accompanied by an apparition of a man always wearing a mariner's hat and a blue jacket. Who is this man, you may ask? Well, some believe him to be, well, two different people. Either William Russell or Peter Rasmussen, two past keepers. Many people have experienced spooky happenings here. In the 1950s, a relief lighthouse keeper often heard footsteps walking about the upstairs area. He would go and check out the location every single time nobody would ever be there. The final keeper, a man named James Pippin, he lived here at the station, as most of them did. He stayed at the big house, which many people would be extremely happy with, but not him. Pippin, he was convinced that it was haunted, and he basically refused to stay another night there. He's happy and settles and moves right into the noticeably smaller coastal lookout building. And this was around 1953 through 1955. And it was then in 1955 that the lighthouse lamp is now fully automated and the lighthouse keeper turns into a lamp lighter. Now, unlike the keeper, the lamplighter does not live on site anymore, so the old keeper's home was often rented out to the locals. One such local was a man who stayed during some time in the 1960s, and one night he claimed to wake up and witness seeing a small girl standing right at his bed. And he closes his eyes, and when they reopen, she is no longer there. She's here one second, and she's gone the next. One night, an employee was there alone, closing up after some of the nightly tours. He suddenly hears the giggling sound coming from the top of the lighthouse tower. That's weird. Was somebody left up there? Did somebody sneak up there and hide? Or what's happening? So this individual, he goes up there. He looks around the area. It's completely and utterly vacant. He starts to make his way back down the stairs. And while doing so, he hears giggling again. This time it's going down below him. That's creepy. And it's not just the employees. One guest was there on one of the trails when they came upon a small girl dressed in Victorian clothing. She's sitting there on the bench and she just sort of looks out of place. Something's weird about her. The woman, I don't know if she was called or she sees something or whatever, but she gets distracted and looks away for like half a second. When she looks back, the girl is gone. The woman looks around. She's nowhere in sight. It's like she vanished into thin air. And speaking of little girls, another guest claimed to have seen the apparition of a little girl wearing a red dress standing out on one of the windows of the lighthouse keeper's home. She has long hair and it's moving in the wind. And then she suddenly just vanishes right before this woman's eyes. Can these little girls be the Pitt sisters or the unidentified girl who died along with the Pitt sisters during that freak accident with the rail cart? One past guest well, she shared that while there, she started to make her way up the staircase that leads up to the top of the lighthouse. And after the very first step, she noticed that she could no longer move. Okay, that's weird. What the hell happened here? She looks down and that's when she notices it. Her shoelace was tied to the staircase. That doesn't just happen. That's, that's really weird. 
And today, guess what you guys, you could come and see this phenomenal location for yourselves. Open year around, I believe, if I remember correctly, it's just closed like five days out of the year. When you go, be sure to keep your eye out for the 1874 Lighthouse Tower, the 1876 Keeper's House, the 1936 Garage, which was used to repair Jeeps during World War II, and the 1941 United States Coast Guard Barracks. They also do night tours called the Dark of the Moon Tour. You could walk up the lighthouse stairs yourself and see all of St. Augustine in her glory. $25 a person is what I saw online. Not too bad for a fun and neat experience. Sign me up. This week's special city shoutouts go to Benton Harbor, Michigan, Newcastle, Delaware, Wairika, California, Alton, Illinois, and... Bandar Seri Begawan, Brunei. As always, everybody, thank you so much for stopping by. It's greatly appreciated. Thank you for making Paranormal Marauders Podcast part of your day. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Listen to the others. They are all phenomenal. Haven't heard every single one yet? Really, there's no need to worry about it. Just head on over to any of those awesome, spooktacular podcast platforms, such as Apple Podcasts, Blueberry, Player FM, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcast, CastBox. Basically, wherever you may roam to listen to your other spooky podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers Podcast lurking in the background. Do you? Yeah, that's right. You have a spooky story of your own to share. I'd love to hear about it. Maybe you know of a curse, a legend, a haunted hotspot, a local hotspot. Or maybe you know somebody who has a story of their own to share. Please reach out to me at paraprowl at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at paraprowl. Or the Paranormal Prowlers podcast Facebook page. Send me a message through there. Thanks, everybody. See you next week.